Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 369 featuring Richard Scott, the CAO and executive producer and one of the founders of Axis Studios over in Scotland. Absolutely love these guys. They're really cool. I didn't realize that, um, you know, I had actually met uh, Richard Scott almost exactly four years ago, I believe it was, when I was at uh, at Vertex. Uh, I was actually moderating a panel and he was on the panel. So it was really good to catch up with uh, with Richard and do the amazing things they're doing. Kristen, what did you think of Richard? Uh, he has an awesome story. He's been in this industry like over 25 years and 22 of those um, have been with Axis Studios, his company. Um, and he, I think he said he started it with about four animators and artists, um, all from digital animation backgrounds in Scotland. Um, and he just kind of talks about the how it is in Scotland. It's a small community of five million people, um, but he is very active in that just creating relationships with colleges and art schools, um, providing mentorship for artists there, um, which is just great. And he also um, gives talent a perspective on what it's like to work in like a commercial setting and team environment at Access, um, just so then they can go out and know what to expect in the world. Um, and he's also just very much into promoting the artists and their talent rather than the software. And you guys go into that a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's just he. It's just a great podcast. It's a a good listen of learning just what it is like this small studio and how the pandemic has kind of affected and not affected it. Yeah, well, it's not such mm-hmm. a small studio anymore. It's a pretty big oh, yeah. studio, and they do some incredible. They do some incredible work, uh, and uh, really excited about what they're doing. And you know, sort of seeing some of the animations that they've done. They've done a bunch of stuff. Uh, a bunch of stuff, including some great work for Love, Deaf, and Robots, and they're very excited about seeing some of the work that they've done there. Um, and uh, like I said, they're really, really interesting. Uh, and he has a great way of uh, uh, giving back to the community, like you said, and sort of talking about that and what that means. And so it was really kind of cool to see that uh, for sure. Uh, so this month is this month of April is a very exciting special month for us because we are going to be working uh, through this month with our good friends at Exceptional Minds. If you guys remember Exceptional Minds, they were on Total Chaos. They are a school uh, that has been training people individual uh, that are in the autism spectrum, uh, training them in terms of visual effects and animations and and other things as well. So they are really really great. And April is Autism Acceptance Month, and we would like to help uh, our good friends at Exceptional Minds by finding, uh, promoting some of their graduates and uh, letting them know that you know they're available for work and they have done some great work. So this week, who are we featuring this week, uh, Kristen? Uh, we have Mina McCulley. Um, and she will be graduating with an emphasis in VFX. And she also has just also amazing motion graphics work as well. And you can check her out on Creatively. Um, just search Mina McCauley and you can see her work. Um, and we'll put the links in the podcast description as well. So you can see her reels and everything as also. Perfect. And what we will be doing, as you guys know, we do our podcast both in video and audio form. For the video form, we will be playing her reel right after 
uh, just before the, 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 the podcast starts. So we'll do it right after we finish talking here. So you guys can check out her reel right there on our, on our, th- on our video feed, uh, and go check her out. And if you'd like to, um, you know, if you'd like to hire her, you can of course go to creatively and check it out there and see, uh, what she has to do. And there's a link right on our podcast page. Uh, but also just make sure, you know, to check out exceptional minds. They're a fantastic organization, as we said, not only do they help uh, people on the spectrum uh, get trained into into this field but, and do all the great work that they do, but they actually also help employees uh, get learn about what it's like to employ someone that's on the spectrum and how they can help and be the most effective place there. So exceptionalminds.org is where you can check out. Uh, and they are available. You can find them on social and all their website and all kinds of stuff. So please check it out. And uh, we're very excited to feature Mina McCauley for this week. Now, if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash podcast or chaos.com slash garage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Of course, uh, you can always email us with your ideas, labs at chaosgroup.com. We really appreciate uh, all of your feedback there as well. But for now, let's uh, first you will see, uh, if you're listening to the video or watching the video, you will see Mina McCulley's reel. And right after that, we'll be going to episode number 369 with Richard Scott. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. So Richard, I think the last time we met, uh, we actually met in person at, uh, what was the event in, in UK? Uh, in Vertex, London. Vertex Festival. Vertex, that's right. Vertex. We were both yeah. on the panel, right? We were. We were on a digital humans panel, I believe, or uh, yep. something along the lines anyway. And, yeah. Uh, and it was, it was great. Yeah, it was great ch- uh, chatting with you. And of course, I've actually known several of the people at Axis who were very active at THU for, for a long time. So it was fun, uh, you know, sort of connecting with you and finding more about that. Uh, but uh, I do have a couple of questions. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about your background. Like, how did you all hit out it all start for you in terms of, you know, getting into animation and doing the kind of things you did? I mean, obviously, you must have had some interest in computer graphics at some point. Yeah, I mean, um, I think for me, it all started... I mean, I was kind of classic uh, high school. I was probably average at most things, but quite good at art, kind of trending into that kind of territory. Um, I think a lot of people in our industry kind of start that way, uh, especially if you're as old as we are, Chris. And, um, (laughs) you know, I... I, So I I actually went straight from high school, didn't go to college, uh, and went um, and worked in a graphic design company. And that was just before the kind of Apple Mac revolution happened, certainly in the UK or certainly in Scotland anyway. Um, So I got kind of lucky, started off in a junior position there originally, you know, sitting at a drawing desk using uh, Pantone markers and all of that kind of good stuff. And then within kind of two years of being there, 
installed a huge Apple Mac network and uh, the biggest one in, in Scotland. And, you know, anyone under the age of about 25 got immediately uh, kind of press ganged into, you know, sitting down at these these computers and and, uh, and seeing what they could do. Uh, and I fell into that, that kind of category. So, yeah, I kind of got lucky, I think, from, from that perspective. That evolved um, into doing really kind of, well, the early photo retouching really was where I went next. Mm-hmm. So the, the company, again, they were quite, they were, a guy, uh, David Brown at the time was kind of my, bo- my boss within the business. And he, he was always looking at what the latest technology was. So he had been instrumental in the Apple Met and Mac network going in. And then the next thing he had his site set on was a Quantel graphic paint box. Um, not not the video paint box, but the actual graphic paint box for photo retouching. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so one of those got installed. And then not long after that, um, they put in an SGI uh, with Wavefront on it. Yep. And that wow, we really did have the same path. <laughs> like, yeah, that was my... Yeah. Well, no. um, and, what did you and, think and of that Wavefront? Was my first exposure to, yeah, yeah, that was my first. That was my first exposure to to computer graphics, and mm-hmm. and that 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 was a design company. So it wasn't it wasn't really about creating motion as such at that point. It was more, um, you know, about visualizing design. So we did a lot of whiskey. You know, we're in Scotland, so it makes sense. We did a lot of whiskey bottle designs, whiskey label designs, and there was kind of you know building those in three D and rendering them. And you know, when you think back to all of that is kind of crazy to think where we are today. But, you know, the Quantel graphic paint box had two Winchester drives that had to be in their own room with its own air conditioning separate away from, you know, the high-resolution monitor, which was probably the size of an average TV in anyone's living room right now. But it was about six feet deep, Yep, as I'm sure you'll remember. <laughs> I mean, it was even – it wasn't like CRT – so deep it was way deeper than that and way you know yeah and it probably weighed like 350 pounds or something yeah it would have killed you it would have killed you if it fallen on top of you, you know so right and and it was kind of interesting phase for me because that that moment was was just again serendipity luck whatever you want to call it just being at the right point and where, where things are evolving so i was still doing a bit of apple you know work graphic design work um i was doing some retouching on the paint box i was doing some 3d on wavefront and uh at the same time you know wavefront used to send you these vhs's of their latest reel for the year or whatever and that's when you started to see what the stuff that was getting done mainly in the us um you know and you know that that kind of evolution from wavefront becoming alias wavefront and you know the, the the different film short films that were being made and i remember watching you know, Luxor Junior and all all the classic things that people again of our age of would have would have come across and and thinking like wow, like I've got no idea how I can how I, how I could do that, but I but I like it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we did. We then we started doing some motion stuff, but it was again it was more visualization kind of work. It wasn't it wasn't filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, that's I think that's the biggest sort of change and in my experiences you start out in design and visualization and you end up connected to the entertainment filmmaking business is quite a long quite a 
a big switch in a way. Um, certainly, there would have been a big switch back 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 then. So that that was kind of how how I got into it. Yeah, and then I went. The, the guy who was my boss at the time started a small company. There was only three of us in there. We had a barcode system for retouching, and we had a couple of SGIs um, for like indigos and stuff like that for 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 three D. Um, yeah, and we just we kind of carried on from there. And then from there, I decided, <clears throat> although I wasn't a big gamer, I decided video games, that was the place to be. And that was when I kind of took sort of slightly right turn away from like SGIs and high-end systems like that, went to a games company. It was all predominantly PC-based. I learned Lightwave, um, and that was the start of getting more into you know, linear narratives rather than than visualizations and design i guess yeah yeah it's interesting that there was um when i was at dd it was you know there were still a lot of people using the sgis and all that stuff but then that was the features people and then the commercial people were using wavefront or, or light waves and pcs and things yeah. like that and it was really a different mentality of like you know how those two do two things exist because wavefront is was expensive and sgi oh, yeah. was very expensive oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean when i think about it now you know the three sgi workstations they had in that small three-person company i mean that that was probably yeah, I don't know. It must have been sixty thousand, seventy thousand pounds worth of equipment, which back then was a lot of money. Uh, at least an Indigo, an Indigo used to cost fifty thousand on its own, and then a cop early stages of Maya, like the first copy of Maya, Maya One, was like fifty grand for one oh, okay. license. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I think I, rem- I think I remember specifically like people would say that like hiring someone to sit down at a desk is like two hundred thousand dollars worth of commitments. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be any more different now. Could it? Yeah, yeah, it's way, way different. And I, 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 you know, you know, I, I know when when we were using Lightwave DD, what 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 was happening at DD was a kind of, was kind of the the pinnacle of what people were doing in Lightwave, along with uh, Foundation. And oh and yeah, yeah, we were we were kind of looking at that from the UK, um, in the side this games company, going like, how do how do we how do we do that? How do we achieve that? That was when I kind of realized that. There's more to being a CG artist, you know. What I think what Foundation and DD had was that those were filmmakers who were using these tools as opposed to tool users who were trying to be filmmakers. And I think that that was a kind of realization point for me that that, that there's still a lot to learn uh, ultimately uh, outside yeah. of just software and stuff like that. Did you know someone named Chris Blythe at all? I I have never met Chris. I've spoken to him. Um, but I, but I uh, never, I've never met him in person. Okay. But I know he's a Scot, obviously, yeah. um, and very strange. You know, it's funny how the world links up, isn't it? I think his wife provided the voices on some of the Halo work that we did in back in like 2012 or something like that. It could be, yeah. Uh, and 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 that was uh, that was quite an unusual kind of connection that we came across somewhere along the lines. Um, but yeah, I mean. Um, John Allardyce was another uh, yeah. a, a name I think was uh, working around then as well. And um, I worked I closely with another guy. John... I worked another guy named Rory McLeish, who was a very Scottish name. Oh but... yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I don't think I've ever met Rory, but uh, I think 
you know, he's, he's another person that we might have spoken to or exchanged emails with or maybe even met at a SIGGRAPH or something, possibly. Sure. But yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's funny that that was a small... When we were using Lightwave, that was the kind of, like I said, it was the kind of beacon, you know, what, what was happening at DD there yeah. was the cutting edge of what you could achieve with Lightwave. Uh, yeah. From yeah. Perspective. yeah it's, it, I, I always, you know, I always thought, I mean, I've known Chris for, for years and, and, and Rory, I work, I haven't seen Rory in a lot. He's moved back to, to, to Scotland. So I haven't seen him in a long time, but always such creative people. Like some of the most interesting creative ideas and very diverse, like, like, you know, uh, uh, Rory was an incredible musician on top of all of that. So there's like yeah. very much the creative blood and, and, and feeling. Mm. So I've always thought of, you know, my, my, my interaction with, with Scottish artists have always been very encompassing creativity and, and into story as well. So it was really great to, to, to see that. Anyway, so I'm very excited. Little distraction. All right. So back to you. I'm sorry about that. Uh, so you're, you're doing stuff in the, in the game companies at this point and using Lightwave. Yeah. And, so and, and it was interesting. The game company again, was an independently set up Scottish company. Um, the two guys that set it up were architects actually, uh, originally <clears throat> just another example of, you yep. know, that, you know, at the day, the same day I started one of, one of the guys who originally founded Axis alongside myself and Stu and Dana um, started on the same day. He came from an engineering background. Dana had a fine art background. Stu had a design background and, and you know, had taught himself Lightwave in his, in his bedroom or his apartment, basically. And and it was the, that, that games company was a real coming together of people who ultimately didn't know how to make a video game, but but they were kind of had all these different skill sets and backgrounds that were that were quite interesting. Um, so we spent we spent three years. I spent three years there, and that's where I met Dana, Stu, Graham, um, and and ultimately we went on to, to set up Axis after that. And we 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 we'd spent that three years kind of really getting to know what made the game industry tick a bit. But we were still at art, you know, we were at lead artist kind of level, the, 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 the four of us. Um, <clears throat> and ultimately, that, comp- that company, um, the game we were working, I went there to work on, never got released. But what it, what it did have is it had these amazing cutscenes that we made. <laughs> and and that, was, that was my first kind of real exposure to more, like I said, more of that kind of filmmaking, storytelling element, you know, we boarded it all out we went through the the, 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 film, the classic filmmaking process and we and we start i started to learn about cameras and editing and you know all of these kind of elements that I hadn't really touched on before um and really enjoyed that experience as well as learning lightwave and uh, i'm sure it's probably same at dd time you know everyone you built your own character you rigged it you maybe did the animation you know you, you, you maybe lit it you you did a lot of and you maybe did two shots or three shots. You didn't do a full sequence. It was a kind of, when I think about it now, it was a very sort of unusual way to work. But I think with, with a team of predominantly sort of generalists, it really, really worked. And I think that's that was kind of some of the founding of what Axis was about as well, was how do we bring generalists together and try and create 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 in a way where we're all, we're all kind of, inputting in very similar ways um what motivates the guys like what what's what's the pinnacle moment where you you know it was a four of you right four founders is that yeah, correct? yeah when the yeah. four of you sort of got together and said 
all right, let's start a company. Like, like how, do, how do you come to that conclusion and how do you set that up? <laughs> well, I mean, ultimately the conclusion was reached because the company that we were working for, like I said, they had tried to make games. They had zigzagged across kind of various, they, uh, they had pivoted a lot, let's put it that way. And, uh, and their kind of final pivot was, I mean, again, they were, they were ahead of the curve here, ultimately, when you think about it. But their final pivot was into what they believed were going to be kind of virtual uh, characters that would, um, you know, either present news or whatever. And they were driving it with, with, uh, with kind of some really basic kind of coding that was going on. They were doing voice synthesis, uh, you, you know, by typing in a script and then having it digitized and lip syncing to that and all of this sort of stuff. So it was, you know, in a way it was way ahead. I mean, it didn't work because they were too far ahead of the kind of curve. Way far ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, and that, that was a pivot that took, started to take us away from the filmmaking storytelling aspect that we all wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the catalyst for, for us and not just us, but a number of other people as well to go, I'm not really sure this is the direction that we're headed. So we actually linked up with another Scottish video game company at the time, and um, they were developing their own IP. And this was something that we'd always been excited about. Um, and and they said, why don't you come and just be a four-person department inside our company, and and you know let's let's take the IP that we're developing and create some animated sequences from it, and then we'll take it out into the world and see what happens. So that that was ultimately kind of. How it started so it wasn't even a company at that point it was more a division or a department or a room it was basically a room a room within another within a game developer um to see what would happen it was an experiment ultimately um and that experiment ended up into us spinning off as a separate company with with the axis name and and eventually you know doing a buy-in and owning part of that and then kind of it all kind of evolved from from there so it was kind of setting up a company by stealth and not not particularly deliberate stealth but it but right. it happened by stealth. which is yeah. good because you need support right setting up companies is really hard and knowing how to deal with legal and human resources and even if the, even if you're a small team you still have those types of things that you have to bridges you have to cross and we had we luckily had the support of of this video game developer to help us to help us do that so I think that we probably had a smoother entry into setting up a company than than, uh, than a lot of people might have. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you basically joined a company that helped you make your own company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 unfortunately for that for that business, we outlasted them. They they, they, they no longer exist, and, and we right. do. So, you know, I, I every every now and again, I think about those days, and I think about we wouldn't be where we are today if they hadn't offered us that kind of opportunity. Again, I think they were, they were probably a little bit further ahead. I think if you were exploiting IPs in games, then it was Sonic and it was Street Fighter. It was like huge titles. It wasn't an original IP that had never actually been released as a game yet that you were looking to exploit in other entertainment media. But again, they were, they were probably just a little bit, you know, Maybe ahead, five, yeah. ten years ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, so I guess that's the birth of of Axis, and that was probably yeah. when was that, or what year was that? That was just uh, it was December nineteen ninety nine. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> hitting 2000 with a bang, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Wow. I mean, what could, what's the worst that could happen, Chris? It was, well, I don't know. But it's, yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to take that risk, do it, right? So, yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So you start the 2000s with, uh, with Axis as, as your company and, 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 yeah. and growing. So what were some of your goals and what were, how did you get your customers? Like, what, where was your, what were you trying to do there? I mean, I think we knew the games industry well. We were supported by a game game developer, so that that made absolute logical sense. We started, you know, getting on getting on the road a bit and going to you know E3 and GDC and and, and stuff like that. And I I personally I'd done a reasonable amount of kind of client facing stuff when I was in in the graphic design world. Mm. So I was kind of okay with going along to events and trying to meet people, but I had no idea. I'd never been to GDC or E3 or anything like that. I had no idea of the scale of this thing or, or you know, you just turn up for 65,000 people or whatever it is and you're just like, I kind of had in my head I was going to hang out in the bar and bump into people, but that, that I, I totally misread that yeah. as, a, as an option. Um, so we, we, you know, we worked in, with the people that that game developer knew. We, 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 got, we got kind of fed leads and opportunities and contacts and stuff like that we reached out to the contacts that we'd had previously in the other company as well and just started to try and get the ball rolling we were very focused on the video game industry at that point and you know it was all about intro sequences for for games and you know uh even really trailers weren't really a thing then i don't Mm -hmm. think as probably you know it was more about cutscenes or intro sequences so yeah, and we started working with Infogram and a few other kind of reasonably sized publisher developers. Um, but we were also doing loads of scraps of other stuff that, you know, was all about keeping the lights on, really, and, and uh, you know, classic kind of stuff. We weren't sitting there, I, I can tell you now, we weren't sitting there going, in 20 plus years, we're going to be, you know, doing the things we're doing now. I think we were... We've always been fairly opportunistic, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know whether that's got something to do with being in being in Glasgow in Scotland, where you're not connected to, you're not really in an entertainment hub where stuff's happening around you, where you right. can kind of um, pro, be probably be more proactive in a way. I think we were much more opportunistic, like talk to some people, see what happens. Oh, that could work. Let's let's do that, and it might take us on. And I, and I think that's been a, you know, that has its pluses and minuses, but I think that's been at the core of Axis's existence for quite, for, for, for a long time is, you know, look for opportunities, um, you know, be clear that of, 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 you know, the direction, general trajectory we wanted to go in, but not mapping out sort of complex business plans or anything like that, because we'd never run it. That's the other thing. We'd never run a business before, which is... Uh, right is always a challenge uh, even working out how to do that so early days we you know we all wore different hats and we swapped the stuff that nobody wanted to do around each other and you know all of that was going on but that's that's every small business as far as i can tell no matter right. whether it's in our industry or not yeah for sure for sure well that's fascinating i i mean i i actually think it's you know like i said i was always been fascinated by by you guys being in glasgow and what that means 
and obviously you guys have been very successful. You've been here for over 20 years so, uh, as your studio. Uh, but I noticed that, you know, I was looking, I was looking, you know, doing a little background check to see what I can do. But you do, you do a lot of active things uh, with, with the Scottish and the art scene and the animation scene. There's a lot of sort of things you, you are involved with to sort of promote sort of that area. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I mean, I think animation is, you know, there's no two ways about it. It's it's a small community in Scotland, uh, for sure. It's a small country. There's only 5 million people in the whole country. So it's going to be a small community. Um, but we've we've always tried to stay somewhat as active as we can. So at a, you know, at a kind of new entrance level, we have relationships with, with local colleges and art schools um, where we're looking to, to uh, provide you know, we provide mentors, or certainly pre-pandemic, we were quite prolific in providing mentorship uh, and bringing people into the studios and buddying them up with people and, you know, all of that kind of stuff in a, in a way to look for look for that talent and, and, and give the talent, more importantly, I suppose, give the talent uh, a perspective of what it's like to work in a commercial setting. Right. I mean, I, I, I always kind of, thought I was lucky that I'd been in that some version of a commercial creative setting since I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. So I know what that means. I know you have to compromise here and there and there's deadlines and there's, you know, budgets and there's all of those kinds of elements. Um, and you have to work as a team. I think that's the other really important thing. And I think in the UK, I think the, at that point in time, the early days, I think the educational side of animation was a little bit, behind what was happening in the US where, you know, I think they had grasped that you need to recreate that team experience that happens in, in, in a kind of studio setting. Uh, in the UK, it was much more about individuals learning pieces of software or trying to make a short film, the entire short film themselves, right. you know, all of these kinds of things. We wanted to give that kind of exposure as to, well, no, if you come in here, you won't, you won't be uh, building the asset, rigging it, animating it, lighting it, you know, ed- doing the editing, doing the music. Doing... So we, we, do, we do that. We've, we've, we've certainly been involved in, um, you know, there's a, a Tom Bryant who um, runs an animation studio called Interference Pattern in Edinburgh, set up a fantastic event called Move uh, Summit. And that, that pre-pandemic, that had run for three years in a row. And it was really building, you know, it was a real shame pandemic blew a bit of a hole in the whole thing but it was really building fantastic momentum getting great speakers coming in from you know the us uk um and we were we wanted we we sponsored that we we provided speakers we had our guys doing portfolio reviews you know we're we're doing everything that we could to kind of uh uh you know just support what was going on in, in in scotland and scotland's got a great you know just rich creative history of you know storytelling writing music you know you've got the edinburgh festivals you know there's there's film festivals going on and it's really you know how can how can we kind of wedge certainly animation visual effects into that in a, in a, in a way that's more uh more visible right. and the other thing i did I, I spent four years on the board of creative scotland which is a government-run body that that looks at all of the arts from you know dance to theater to to TV, film and television um, and that was a real eye opener for me as well just that whole you know being involved in, in an organization like that 
seeing what else was going on creatively across Scotland was was incredible. So yeah, it, I've I've tried we've tried to we've tried to give as much back as we can. Right, I think you're absolutely right. I think animation is an art form, especially in storytelling. You know, yeah, that, that's important, uh, and uh, it's really great that you know Scotland is recognizing that as an art form as important as dance or music you know so uh, yeah 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 and i think there's real momentum starting now you know like in spite of being around for 22 years in glasgow it probably is in the last five to ten that the momentum started started to build you know and and um you know we've had you know the move summit for example had had some attendees from uh goblin and in paris uh, you know, massively revered uh, animation course and, and school and talent coming off that, off of that course, and they were at the Move Summit because they recognised that Scotland was building a momentum and there was opportunities for their students to be potentially working, in, you know, once they graduate to be working in Scotland. And it was great to see that kind of shift happening. Uh, and as you said, you know, just I think it's too easy to get caught up in, especially when it's computer graphics for it to be caught up in the technical nature of what's happening and for the art form to be sidelined a little bit. So uh, what was great about the Move Summit was that it mixed all of that beautifully together. That You know, that's what the best kind of festivals and conferences do, don't they? They mix together. Yeah. So Mind-blowing technical with the incredibly artistic. Yeah, too. I, I, I'm always a person that, that I don't think it happens as much as it used to anymore, but it was really sad when, you know, people look at a, a beautiful image or a rendering or an animation and they they ask what software was used to create it yeah. instead of asking who made this <laughs> yes <know>? exactly <laughs> yeah what talented artist created this right. is the question you should be asking or artists i i yeah, the, the one story. the one that really hit home for me i was working on on uh, on the movie called stealth which is not a great movie but there was a this this uh, this artist and she was amazing and she did this shot of the plane landing on the aircraft carrier and it looked seamless, perfect, like really beautiful. And someone said, "That looks incredible. What HDR was used for this?" I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I was like really." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, the HDR didn't do that. The, the artist yes, did that. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, so yeah no that's that's great I mean I'm really I'm really excited and I was very when I was looking into some of the stuff you're doing I was really excited to find out how much you know you're giving back to the community and working with with the community to do that so I think that's a really cool yeah I mean thing. I think unfortunately the you know COVID and all of that sort of stuff sort of put the brakes on a lot of that in some regards but I'm not sure what the status is in the US but I think you know for us certainly in Scotland anyway you know I think living living with living with covid and all of that sort of stuff is the thing and I, and I, you know i really expect to see some of these things bounce back this year you know i don't i don't know whether tom's planning on move summit this year but um if he is we'd, we'd love to be there supporting it again because uh great 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 to draw attention and i think the other thing is we've really enjoyed bringing again pre-pandemic i don't want to keep saying that but you know we've We've brought a lot of international people to Scotland as well, you know. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, I mean, currently, I think I was just doing a review of this uh, the, the other day. I think we've got thirty-three different nationalities working for us at the moment, or something insane. Oh, like that's that. amazing! They're not all in the. They're not all in Scotland, but um, right. obviously because of because of what's changed. But 
even be then we probably I think we were about you know maybe 16 17 different nationalities working out of Scotland and that, that's really exciting to to bring people to Scotland to for them to experience living living in Scotland a lot of people had never been to Scotland before didn't really know a lot about Scotland or didn't know about Glasgow um so I think that's exciting as well because that that message goes back out um back out that interesting things are happening and that, yeah. that's that's how you keep momentum going well how how did you guys or how was your still ongoing i guess to some extent how have you weathered the the, the covid situation what what were some of the things that really affected you guys well i think i think like everybody we 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 within a few couple of weeks we'd worked out how to do something we never thought we would be able to do which was have everyone working remotely you know uh, paul mackman is our coo was was ahead of the curve and was ahead of you know the government decisions that were being made and and worked with peter devlin as our, our head of it to kind of come up with solutions and and really start rolling that rolling out the infrastructure side of things mm-hmm. um and what we set up initially didn't work for everybody didn't work for everyone in every discipline creatively and we've adapted that over the kind of two-year period um you know bringing Teradici into the frame rather than some of the other kind of uh, remote working solutions we were using. Um, you know, we were, you know, adding Slack so that it was easier, you know, more readily communication and all of these kinds of things. And I, and I think the, the really difficult thing for me anyway, at a sort of personal level has been, you know, sitting in this room for two years, essentially, and, and not, <laughs> and not, you know, I, I like to I like to interact with people. That's that's my job, number one, and, and it's right. my personality is most suited to. Um, and I like to, you know, feel the temperature of what's going on, and you you can sense, you know, kind of what's happening in the studio, whether there's something exciting happening, whether there's an issue, whether there's, you know, some people that are not as happy as they as they would like to be. You know, all of those things are kind of more readily sensed when you're together. And it's more likely that someone's going to say to you, you know, have you got five minutes so I can just tell you about X or Y? And and that that's very difficult to recreate in the in the kind of working from home scenario. And certainly from a personal perspective, I mean, it was it was weird. Twenty nineteen for us was a was a year of quite a lot of growth, and I'd spent a lot of time being quite focused in the business, and and I. I remember in, in kind of October time saying, right, 20, 2020, this is the year I'm going to I'm going to get on the road more. I'm going to go to the US more. I'm going to go to here and here. And then, of course, the whole thing got blown up. And, uh, but but, you know, that doing doing my role is kind of I've I've found that quite challenging just at a sort of personal level. Um, but we, you know, we started doing, you know, weekly when we still are doing some form of, you know, weekly kind of town hall or screening or behind the scenes sort of stuff. Um, you know, we were, we, we went through a period of um, doing a creative showcase where people who were, uh, who work at the company showcased some other creative skill that they had. You know, we've had everything from photography to um, graffiti art to uh, pottery you know, and, and it wasn't, it was, what was really good was it wasn't all people in the creative departments as well. So anyone who had a creative hobby was able to kind of showcase what they were, what they were doing. It gave everyone a, 
a different perspective on on uh, our colleagues and the people that they talk to every day. So we were doing all those and still are doing some of those things to to kind of you know create those connections and and magnify those connections. But I think that in a way the technology part of it was has not necessarily been the hardest hardest bit. I think the hardest bit is communication, you know, uh, morale, uh, creative, you know, idea, idea exchange, all of those kinds of things. Uh, those are the those are the big challenges about everyone working remotely. But the upside was, I mean, we 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 got our first feature film project um, in production in May of so a few months into the to lockdown and the remote working allowed us to scale up and crew up in a way that we couldn't have we would have been physically constrained by if we'd had been trying to put everyone inside the four walls of our of our different studios right so that that you know on the one hand it has its challenges but uh, you know it's had that advantages of, of of being able to scale um in a, a, using a completely different methodology um, and, and techn technical solutions than, you know, putting workstations under desks and and, and and chairs at desks, ultimately. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that a lot of people are, you know, the location is a benefit, but it's not necessary as it was, right? You could, I, you know, I could tell, I could work at Access if I, if, if you offered me a job. Sure. I'd still be in LA, right? Absolutely, and we and we have people in LA right now. I mean, I think we've got people all the way from, you know, Los Angeles to kind of, I think we've got maybe at least one person in Japan or certainly that far around the other side of the globe, you know? Right. So yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's an exciting development for, for visual effects and animation, I think, but it's, but there's a, there's a whole lot of, um, there's a whole lot of root finding still to go as to how, how does that manifest itself over 10 years as yeah. opposed to two years? What does it mean for creativity? What does it mean for, for, you know, team dynamics? What does it mean? What does it even mean for, uh, for, for salaries and, and wages and costs and all of those kinds of things, you know, those are all things that have been, um, you know, that are, are, are dynamically changing all the time uh, and have been for the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting because obviously, you know, you know, before the pandemic, the incentive that a lot of places would, would use for where they would do things were based on tax subsidies. Right. So now mm -hmm. you're much more diverse in terms of the way you look for talent at this point. Uh, yeah. I think it's really great. I mean, honestly, I'm not, not that the pandemic was great. It was not great, but, <laughs> but it definitely sort of changed the way people are going to look. And I, definitely think that people are going to realize that the diversity and the, what people thought were necessary are going to change because the first thing i thought when the pandemic happened and everyone had to work from home i said i think we were about to break the internet right because <laughs> like everyone had to work yeah. from home didn't happen we managed to make it work and i think everyone's sort of doing that but i think this this idea of where things are going is is really interesting time zones are the biggest problem i think for me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our, our animation supervisor on our feature film, um, who's wrapped up now, uh, he was working in Australia. Right. And the idea was he was going to come to the UK. So 
we're a few months into the pandemic when we hired him and he's really excited about coming with his wife and his son to, to Scotland, never been there before. And we're like, yeah, in a few months, you know, in a few, six months, maybe, you know, right. we, you, you'll be here. And he did the entire movie from Australia, supervising a team of animators who are predominantly not on his time zone. Yeah. And, 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 and working some, you know, some crazy offset hours to match our, to match the, the kind of middle, middle ground of the time zone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he deserves a medal for, for doing that for the, for the, uh, for the period of time. So that, that's, that's, that there are, there are upsides there and there are the, the downsides contained in that one example there. And I think that, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Like you said, like the whole tax credits thing, I think is going to be incredibly interesting. Like, how is that? I don't, I don't mean how's that going to evolve in the next year or two. I mean, what is that? What, what is the reality of that over like five plus years? Right. Uh, because it's a sort of underpinning for the, the whole approach, strategic approach to a lot of studios and a lot of businesses and a lot of, uh, and a lot of filmmakers and film, you know, film studios as well. How, right. how is that going to evolve? Um, I mean, we, we, we very much like, I think most studios that I'm aware of anyway, are, are, if you want to be, you know, in a physical space, then we can make that happen. If you want to work hybrid, we can make that happen. If you want to be completely remote, we can make that happen as well. I think that's certainly in the, the next 12 to 24 months, that will be the approach that most people will take. I, I you know, again, at a sort of personal level, I can't believe that that won't have some impact on creativity and team dynamic. Um, that wouldn't be that positive. Let's put it that way. It may not be hugely yeah. negative, but it, but it might. So it'll be really interesting to see. You know, we we are we are now kind of looking at physical space and going, okay, what is the axis five years from now? How much physical space does it need? What does it need physical space for? Right. And what you know. Those are those are all the questions that we're asking ourselves right now, with a view to not this year, but probably next year, starting to pivot a little bit on on some of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because you know twenty twenty thirteen or so was pretty much if we if you were a visual effects artist working in LA, if you wanted to continue your career, you had to move to Vancouver, right? Or yeah. or, or okay, and so I don't know if that's an obligation anymore. <laughs> Yeah. No, I don't. I I don't think it. I don't think it is, and I and I think, I personally think that's a positive thing. Yeah. You know, I I think that that certainly if you've got you know a family, you don't want to be dragging them right. around tax tax incentive part. Yeah, migrant work is not a good. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So I think that's a positive thing, and I think it's, and I, and I agree with you culturally, you get a much broader, um. Range of of voices and, and cultural kind of perspectives that you probably wouldn't have got before, um, which again, I think is very positive as well. Right. So there's loads of positives in it. There's loads of challenges in it. Who knows, who knows what the sweet spot is, Chris? I'm not, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I think I'd like, you know, I, I'd like to see people more often. Uh, although I got to say, you know, like you, you've been stuck in your, that room for two years. I've been stuck in, in my room for two years. And when I actually, now that I'm actually going out and meeting people in person, I, I realize I've lost some social skills along the way. So I'm fine with Zooms and things like this, but, <laughs> but actually having lunch with someone is a challenge sometimes. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but it, but I think it's there's. I think we've maybe forgotten the value that lies in that. So you know, going for lunch with someone. Yeah. Because we've we never really realized it was there in the first place. Right. You know, we didn't necessarily. It was subconscious the value that comes from that 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 the, the extra nuances and uh, different type of interactivity. I think it's very similar to the situation of being able to lean across and ask someone a question in the space of 48 seconds, whereas now you need to at least set up a 15-minute video conference to ask them that question, you know, or you ask right. them on Slack and you don't even get to see their face or their reaction or whatever. So, right. you know, there's, there's real nuance there, but I think it's a really important nuance. Uh, well, the other we'll, thing that we've lost is, you know, was a supervisor, you could walk around and you could see uh, someone's desk and you could say, oh, let me help you with that. And they, because yeah. you can see what they're doing. Now you can't just sort of, you have to wait till that person thinks they're in trouble before they can ask for help. Yeah, you know? that, that's exactly right. And one other thing on top of that, just talking about people coming in, new new entrance into the, to the industry, you know, one of the ways that, you know, people coming in at junior levels within, within, I guess, any business, but especially ours, the way that they learn is by, leaning over, uh, looking at someone's monitor and going, wow, that's cool. And leaning right. over and going, how did you do that? Right. And then going, oh, let me show you. I did, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's completely interactive and, and unplanned and unstructured. And you, you can't get that if you're a junior person sitting and you've got Houdini open. And like you said, you might be banging your head off the brick wall a little bit, mm-hmm. but you, you keep going until you, absolutely can't you know take it anymore and then you ask for, for for support right so i think there's a real you know we all know out in the industry right now there's there's a shortage of talent right there's 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 not enough people um so we need those new entrants coming into the industry but if it's going to take them longer let's say to to kind of learn and progress that that's going to be a limitation on, on, on animation and visual effects in some regard yeah yeah, I haven't thought about uh, about that specifically, but it's very, very true. Very true. Uh, but let's try to be a little more positive. Let's talk about this let's, big growth. Good idea. Good <laughs> let's idea. talk about this big growth that you guys are experiencing and all the great work that you're doing. Obviously, you've diversified a whole lot more than than doing you know cutscenes and, and and intros to, to video games. You so yeah. so what kind of work are you guys encompassing these days? Well, predominantly we we kind of have two camps. We have um, short form work, which is predominantly around, is still around the video games industry, some theme park, LBE type type work as well. Um, and then we have the long form work, which is predominantly, we have our visual effects team doing TV and film work. Um, we've done some episodic TV work in various different ways. Um, and, you know, we've, we're, as I said, working on a, a, an animated feature at the moment. So those, you're right. We've diversified quite heavily. There's a huge difference between making, you know, an amazing piece of CG that lasts three minutes, uh, to making an, uh, you know, 80, 85 minute feature as we're doing at the moment, and you know, massive amounts of learning across all of those kind of transitions that we've made, um, right. and and a lot of the times it's not easy to make those transitions. And I think is one of the things that we've always enjoyed as as kind of the founders of axis i think was working on a diverse range of different work so really in the really early days we were doing title sequence or promos for the disney channel uh 
commercials and game trailers, you know, so you had a whole range of mix of styles. And to us, it was just about, you know, telling telling a good story, good performances, making the CG look as great as possible, no matter what the, 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 the piece of content was. I think we've held on to that. You know, we've, we, as you said, we've diversified. We've, we've got quite a diverse range of styles that we work in uh, as well. And that's a that's something that we've is, is a I wouldn't say it's a USP of Axis, but it's certainly a strength of Axis. But it's also a big challenge for um, us as a studio, especially when you're scaling, because mm-hmm. what what works for a stylized project that's three minutes long might not work as well for a stylized project that, that's half an hour of content. Um, and, you know, what works for something that's hyper real for a game trailer doesn't work for something, you know, really painterly like the, you know, the tall grass episode of Love, Death and Robots that we did, for example. So one of the challenges I suppose we set for, for our teams and our artists and our pipeline guys is, is that, we're not always aiming at the same target mm-hmm. and that, that is hard. And I take my hat off to every single one of them for being able to kind of shift, shift and pivot and, and be able to, to, uh, to adapt like that. Cause I think if you want to do things really well and you want to do them at volume, then most animation studios start to specialize in a particular look or, or, or whatever. Um, or or they only do features, or they only do TV series, or you know something like that. So, yeah, that, the growth has come from that diversification. It's definitely a ch- been challenging and remains a challenge to kind of adapt. And I think I've I've always said that if we can get a really nice balance between those longer form projects and the short form projects. We can probably narrow our focus, start to narrow our focus a little bit, um, and and yeah, I think I think over the next few years we can we'll, we'll, we'll start doing that. Um, okay. So it, and, and by that I mean you know we we maybe narrow down to um, you know really specialising in kind of just the pure hyper real work being. For, ga- for for games clients and not not trying to apply it into you know long format for example um, and stuff like that so I think we we just got to find our way kind of through some of that and and uh, and see where again see where the opportunities come from but one of the things that I've been trying to do in my role uh, over the last few years is move from being still quite opportunistic to more proactive like. This is what mm-hmm. we want to do. We're going to go and try and make this happen as opposed to reacting to. And that's that's where the feature project kind of came out of that much more proactive kind of mentality to, to um, we really wanted to go down that path. We wanted to be able to experience that level of storytelling uh, endeavor, essentially. And we really wanted to be able to, um, you know, challenge our teams creatively uh, and, and, and see where that took us and, and features seemed like a really good option for that. And I think as, again, a sort of luck scenario is that, you know, in the last seven, eight years, features have gone from being, you know, 80 to $200 million things that are made in California somewhere to, to, to you know, being, you know, much more 
made on lower budgets uh, with different types of stories um, and and that, that kind of feature that feature world has become more accessible to studios that are not that are not you know DreamWorks and Pixar and, and Illumination and that's that's an exciting time as well. Do you think that I mean? Do you think that obviously you mentioned Love, Death, and Robots as as one of the mm-hmm. projects you worked on, but that that type of content and else you know I, I've actually had long talks with with Tim Miller about this because you know he he's he didn't he wanted to make something like that for years and years and years and it wasn't until sort of the the, the streaming revolution that people were like oh people want specific things that they would not be done in the past right and yeah. so do you think that that's going to uh sort of change the way you guys think the, there's more accessibility to to things that's going on yeah i mean I, I, if i'm honest chris i think we're banking on that um <laughs> in some regard <laughs> you know we we've, we've we've um it's been great to be you know we've done two episodes of love death and robots we're doing a third at the moment uh, it's been fantastic to be involved in that and see it get the reception because like like tim has always believed that it would get the reception and the audience would be there for it we always believed that as well tim made it happen and and we were delighted along with loads of other studios to be part of that and to right. see that it got that it, that it worked essentially um and i think we've you know the streaming revolution has ultimately changed that. You know, I, I I've always sort of said since we started to see that shift in the streaming. You know, when I'm talking to people who don't really understand that in animation there isn't really that kind of older skewing content, or there hasn't historically been that older skewing content. You know, I, the, the way I always describe it to them is that if you take, you, you would traditionally have referred to that as niche niche content that would have only been for a small audience. But when you add all the niches up together around the world and you can distribute to them in one go, then that niche becomes a really big audience or those niches yeah. become a big audience. That's the thing that I think has shifted the dial and will continue to shift the dial. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, you, you look what the streamers are doing um, with with anime. Uh, you look what, you know, Arcane has has, has done recently incredible work by by uh, by Fortiche and and everyone and, and Riot Games. You know they're they're clients of ours and we work with them on a really regular basis. And what they did there was incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I I always call you know I always share this stuff around my friends and on social media and stuff like that. And I always put hashtag animation revolution because I think there is a bit of a revolution going on. And and you know. And it's you know people people are engaging with that and you know I'm looking at my son he's eight, just turned eighteen you know that's the kind of stuff he wants to watch right mm-hmm. that, like he wants to watch Love and Death, Death and Robots because it's edgy it's short you know all of that sort of stuff he wants to watch Arcane because it's you know it's beautiful to look at and it's great storytelling great performances right he watches a lot of anime he what you know and I think that and that's not driven by me he's, he, you know he, Right, my daughter can take it or leave it. So it's not. It's not. I'm. I'm not spoon feeding them that stuff. There, they're finding that themselves. And yep. that's. Yeah, I think that will make a that will make a difference. And we, you know, we, one of recent or relatively recent, the last few years, we've been developing our own projects and and getting on board, co-productions and 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 IP that's being developed. And we've optioned a couple of uh, existing like graphic novels and things like that. 
And we've always had a, when we've been looking at that slate of projects, we've always had a foot in, in two different camps. So one is, yes, we know that we can't just make edgy, older skewing animation and that some of our projects need to be in a more, uh, let's say, family co-viewing kind of space. But we want them to be, we want them to have an edge. There's no reason they, they can't be co-viewing family and still have an edge um, and, and be a bit different. Uh, and then some of the other projects that we've been developing are squarely, you know, more in that older skewing kind of more niche kind of uh, area. There's there's no doubt that the appetite and the traction for the older skewing stuff is smaller than than the, co the, the family co-viewing stuff. Right uh, projects that that there, there is no doubt about that. But I think there's momentum growing, and every time an arcane comes out, or a new season of Love, Death, and Robots, or yeah. you know, um, you know, the Witcher uh, uh, anim animated uh, film that came out recently, and these things just kind of slowly are building on top of each other. To I think. Well, I've been waiting for this for so long. I mean, I don't know if you guys had it in Scotland, but uh, back in the '90s, there was uh, uh, there was uh, uh, MTV had Liquid Television where they did these, yeah. teen, and that was you know when you saw things like Eon Flux and things like that, and yeah. you're like, when am I going to see more of that? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. a long time coming, though, right? Yeah, it is right. So think about like, and so I think that that's something that's that was very was very important and very cool. Uh, and like you said, it, it, it's not necessarily that it hasn't existed and it has existed in forms of anime and things of that nature. It's just that there was a stigma by, you know, specifically the Hollywood studios that were like, if it's animated, it is Pixar or Disney, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and, that, and there's and, nothing and, wrong and, with Pixar and Disney. It's just that there is a, other flavors that are possible. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, and I think if you if you're in the animation world or and and you've spent time at animation festivals and that sort of stuff, you'll have seen many short films that are you know across a range of different kind of niches of storytelling and styles and all of that sort of stuff. So if you're in the industry, you know it's not you know it's not just you know for kids and families. Mm -hmm. But if you're not in the industry, that's your main exposure. Even growing up from a kid yourself, it would have been Saturday morning TV. It would have been, you know, that, yep. that that's mm -hmm. what it would have been. And I, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited for the continue, the continued momentum, I think, that is going to build there. Um, and like I said, we're, we're hoping to be, as, as Tim Miller and Blur and many other people are, you know, we're hoping to be there at the right the right time yeah well that's very very exciting i'm very excited about the work you're doing uh and it's gorgeous work so i really appreciate talking to you about it so tell us real quick because we're kind of kind of low on time but how big is is access right now like i know you guys have an office in glasgow and in bristol too right so yeah, we've got one in bristol yeah so i mean in terms of headcount at the moment but none of which are in either of those two offices really <laughs> um i think we're over 400 people oh wow wow so yeah, yeah there's, there's been a lot of a lot of growth and a lot of uh, learning about how to go. I mean, if you think about it, we were four people 22 years ago and now we're 400 people. Mm -hmm. And like I said at the start, we never really set out, you know, going in 10 years time, we're going to be 400 people because that's what it's going to take to do what we're going to do. So, uh, yeah, I think as, as someone 
trying to keep the culture of access alive and trying to 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 uh, to grow the business and make it make it work and make it an experience that that people enjoy. Um, that's been a that's been a big challenge, you know. Yeah, having that going alongside growth and uh, yeah, when I when I when I when I talk to anyone who's got a thousand people or 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 more people, I I yeah, I think well done, you know. That's an yeah. amazing, an amazing, oh. uh, it's an amazing uh, feat to be able to create a business of, of that kind of scale and, and make it work. So yeah, it's it's been, it's. I mean, I think this year we we're we're not planning any additional kind of growth in headcount or any of that sort of stuff for for 2022 i think we need to we need to deliver a feature film we need to uh, there's lots of things that we've learned that we need to start ironing the kinks out on uh along along that uh, way around like the experience and the pipeline and all the usual stuff that studios grapple with no matter no matter what size they are right Right. Well, that's very exciting. Um, and I, you know, we're, we're just around through about an hour, which is perfect. I'm very excited to see where you guys are going. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll put links to, uh, to access this site on the, on our, every podcast has its own page. We'll put links up there as well. Um, you know, you guys got a fantastic reel and well, actually many reels of the, the diversity of your work. <laughs> um, so it looks really, really great. And it's awesome seeing you again hopefully yes. next time we'll do it in person uh you oh, know we'll be I'd at something like chris. vertex or something like that but it would be great yeah to, yeah to or i'll see i'll happily come to uh, california chris it's not a problem okay <laughs> that sounds great all right thanks a lot richard thanks a lot chris great to speak to you take care